0: Hey, everybody, it's Chris Stevenson here of Stevenson Consulting and Be Military Fit California. And you're listening to Chasing Dreams with Amy J.
1: Welcome to Chasing Dreams podcast with Amy J., Amy believes that realizing a life without regrets is achieved by taking chances, chasing your dreams, making moves, and overcoming your doubts. The Chasing Dreams podcast will help you overcome life's obstacles, believe in your potential, and inspire you to face your fears. And now, here's the woman who is passionately pursuing her dreams Amy J.
2: Hey Dream Chasers, this is Amy J and thank you so much for tuning in to episode 232 of Chasing Dreams. Guys, today's episode is um, bringing back a guest from the past, Chris Stevenson. He was on episode 223 with Serena, but today he's on the show to share his story and what he went through. Chris and I have a great time. There are so many lessons. You're going to want to have a notepad and a pencil or a pen or a computer, whatever, to take notes because there's a lot of wisdom packed into this episode. We talk about his story, the lessons he's learned, and there's even a fun childhood hero he plays that you're going to want to learn about. All right. So tune in, get ready. Here's Chris. Hey, Chris, welcome back to the show.
0: Thanks for having me. I'm I'm happy to be back.
2: We had so much fun last time. I was like, you know, let's keep the fun going, get to know you a little bit better. And I mean, you have a story as well that I think these guys should hear. So why don't we take it back? You know, I always like to go back. You you know, what did young Chris want to be as he got older?
0: So young Chris, um, you know, I was a competitive martial artist growing up and uh, that became my life. I quit every other sport once I hit high school. And not only did I compete I ended up running a martial arts studio at a young age and teaching classes and coaching and competing. So martial arts was always a huge part of my life. So young Chris just anticipated, someday I'm going to open up a martial arts school of my own. So that was the dream growing up, obviously. Paths changed a little bit. Um, but yeah, that was it. So I you know, went to college, got my degree. But even through that whole process, I was, uh, for better or for worse, more focused on the martial arts and, and, and the business aspects of it. And uh, that uh, took me through college.
2: Fun fact, guys, uh, I did do taekwondo also during high school and whatnot, did get my black belt. I am not practicing, so don't try to fight me if you see me. But, you know, there was something about, um, you know, not trying to date anybody, but in the years of the Karate Kid, uh, Three Ninjas, it was cool to learn martial arts. And there was something about it that kind of gave me that sense of confidence I think that, that you can have in different, different activities, but you know, there was something about doing that and then, um, teaching it and then learning it and then just going and having a sense of responsibility. What was it about martial arts that drew you
0: to it? Uh, It was interesting. So my parents were divorced Mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, my mom trying to raise a young man. And, uh, we had, I had a friend that took it and said, you should try it. And, um, you know, I was playing other sports and everything at the same time, but went and took that class and my mom watched and she said, you know what? I think this is something we can do together. Ooh. So it was pretty special. So yeah, we signed up together and her and I went through the whole journey, you know, for years training together and it was a really good bonding experience. And I think that was part of the reason I dropped everything else and I started to get good at it. By the way, I was terrible for a long time. <laughs> uh, and at some point things started to click a little bit after after a long period of time. And so I saw myself starting to excel. I liked the experience with my mom and the same as you. it's um. You know, it's an individual sport in sort of a team environment, right? So you still have to get up by yourself and break the board or perform the form in in front of a group of people uh, or spar, but at the same time, you've got the camaraderie of everybody supporting each other. So I like sort of having both of those aspects, and uh, the same as you. It it helped build confidence, respect, discipline, uh, appreciation, gratitude. It just teaches all those life skills that many sports don't.
2: I found that a lot of my um, fellow martial artists at the time – also changing. I mean, I, I think it's a universal thing where your confidence grows. And I don't know what it is about it. I don't think it's the confidence that, hey, I broke a board, therefore I can sh- take on life. But I think there was something about um the way people taught you and took time with you and, and work with you that kind of helps build you as a person. I mean did that did you have something similar or yeah absolutely.
0: It it's um it's just, it's it's it encompasses so many of those life skills. I think um, you know, with the belt system, it was about goal setting. And your instructor, who like you're, you were saying, your mentor said, "Okay, there's always a the next step." And there's your long-term goal, which is your black belt, and your your brown belt, which is your midterm, and then your next belt, you know, yellow, orange, blue, which were your short-term goals. So that that mentor was in there as they were instructing you and showing you. Uh, they were helping you with goal setting. They were helping you with trust because here you are, you know, throwing each other and sweeping each other and kicking and punching, you know, each other towards your heads uh, and developing that level of trust. So. I I totally agree with you. And I think, um, in martial arts, uh, when you have a great instructor, it's more than just learning to kick and punch. It's, it's building all those other life skills and, uh, I wouldn't trade it for the world. And even to this day, uh, and some of the success I've, I've had, I still go back to those days and attribute it to what I went through in that process to become the person that I am.
2: Do you mind if I ask what styles you learned?
0: So taekwondo was same as you was my first one, and I got uh, up to third degree black belt in that one. Wow! And after I was teaching, uh, we partnered with another hapkido school. So which was neat because while taekwondo was a, mostly kicks, some punches. Uh, then I started to learn more of the grappling, and then I took some judo uh, as well as along the way because I was competing, doing some acrobatics and sort of some what we call tricks in martial arts, the jump kicks and the spin kicks, uh, and then finally boxing at the end. I, I uh, yeah, I knew that my hands were good for grappling and arm bars and throws my feet were good for kicking but as you know in taekwondo you don't do a ton of hands so mm-hmm. i was like i better learn to use these as well yeah and uh so boxing, so pretty well rounded you know through my 30 some odd years of doing this thing
2: you know guys if you ever uh watched karate kid you probably saw the, the like a tournament kind of thing. if you've never been to one i highly recommend you go it's so much fun the energy is electric but also people are so freaking talented all
0: ages yes yeah, it's pretty unbelievable. And I think, Amy, it's important to point out when you reference Karate Kid, just so the listeners know, we're talking about the real one with Daniel LaRusso, <laughs> Ralph Macchio, and Mr. Miyagi, not not the Will Smith one, not the Jaden Smith, Will Smith, Jackie Chan. We're talking the legit old school Karate Kid.
2: He's not wrong, guys. No, no shade. No, shade. he knew exactly which one I meant. There's no shade to the re- revived one or whatever it is. But yeah, that it's it's crazy good. So let me ask you, once once you started doing that, you go to college, you get your degree. What happened then? Because I find a lot of people pivot at that point without expecting to pivot. Why did you pivot?
0: So it was interesting. Uh, I didn't have your typical college experience because I was competing and teaching and, and running the studio. So basically, it was classes all day, uh, te- then go uh, taking my own college classes, then going to teach, then teaching the competitive team, oh, then training myself. Um, so I wasn't really much of a uh, partier or that much of a social life or anything like that. So I did decide as I was coming to the end of college. Uh, first of all, I was in Ohio, which I love. I'm a proud Clevelander. and uh, But I still uh, wanted to go somewhere warm for a few years. So it was either Florida or California. And I also thought, you know what I'm going to do is I'm going to just do nothing for a few years. So I'm going to wait tables somewhere warm and, you know, just kind of enjoy being social and have some fun and go out And uh, because I had never done that. Mm -hmm. Uh, And it basically was more or less a coin flip between Florida and California. And uh, I had a good friend who said, if you go to California, I'll go with you. So we packed up our stuff and, and, you know, moved to the West Coast, you know, for a couple of years, which turned out to be uh, until currently.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Where you are. Yeah. You know, it's interesting because, you know, I think a lot of people put so much pressure on themselves in the 20s and sounds like you did the exact opposite which was let me relax let me kind of enjoy life and I love that because I was of the other mindset I was of the I have to work life is life is work that's what life is and it sounds like you were the other mindset which I'm enjoying do you have any regrets for doing that
0: you know, what's funny is I will tell you that I think all of us always look back and think, well, if we did this a little different, here's how mm-hmm. it would go or, or this. But then I think of the flip side of it. And that's important because it's so easy to look back and say, oh, I wish I would. I wish I would. But I'm like, had I not, mm-hmm. I wouldn't be where I'm at now. So I fully appreciate the path that I took. And, uh, you know, I'm sure at the time I was like, oh, I wish you could go out like those people and and have this sort of fun. Uh, so you have those moments. but. You know, ultimately, taking those couple years to, and it actually didn't end up as being as long as I, I had planned or hoped. Um, <laughs> but, uh, no, you know, in retrospect, like I said, everything we've done to this point got us where we are. And if we're happy where we are, how can you complain?
2: I, I don't think you can. I think uh, you're right. A lot of us often look it back and think, you know, at, about the negative. Mm-hmm. But there's so much positive that we don't see at the moment. But in the flip side, down the road, we look back and we're like, you know what? That that really built me to where I am. That really taught me the things I need to do now. And yep. oftentimes, I think people uh, live too much in their re- in that regret and not see the benefits that it brought them, right? Yep. Especially when they compare it to somebody else. Correct. You know, no, I, I
0: I agree with you, and it's one of those things that uh, you know, negativity tends to hit us harder than positivity. So it's really easy to look at. And I think we're just physiologically, we're wired that way. We're wired to be defensive and, and preserve and fight or flight. Um, you know, so, you know, we immediately think of somebody like, oh, had I done this? Had I done that? If I did this different? Rather than going, wow, based on the choices that I made, I'm in a pretty awesome place right now with only more ahead of me. So I think just, you know, more appreciation rather than thinking, ah, what if I would have? Nah, not if you're in a good place.
2: Did you already always have that kind of a mindset where you were kind of looking at it or did it develop? Because you have a rare mindset that not a lot of people have traditionally when I run into them.
0: Yeah, no, I I think I, you know, it, I don't believe in like, Oh, you're just naturally, Mm -hmm. but there is a small piece to that. I think um, probably not just however I'm wired is, is on the positive side. I had a very positive, encouraging, you know, mother, as I grew up, Uh, you know, martial arts was very positive and encouraging. Not that it wasn't challenging and and at moments made you want to cry, but overall, you know, all of that, Kind of goes into it, and then not to jump too far ahead in the timeline, but uh, so naturally being sort of an optimistic realist, my entire life, I was fortunate in part of my career to become a faculty member at the California Health and Longevity Institute. Now, at that point, I was their fitness expert, so I was doing executive wellness with Fortune 500 companies. I was more the exercise guy, saying, "Hey, let me—I'm going to teach you how to work out, how to stretch, how to get rid of these injuries, chronic low back pain." But on the flip side, part of those programs, because it was really well rounded, was communication, stress management. uh, mindfulness. So in addition to being on the faculty, I sat in on every single presentation in all of those aspects and, uh, felt like I was getting my, you know, graduate degree in mindfulness and stress management and communication. So for me, i kind of naturally was on that path and I was, I was, I was, I, I worked hard at being positive, but that sort of cemented it when I started to see the science behind that and how it really worked. So it's sort of, you, you know, you, I don't, you probably like this where you hear somebody say something and you're like, that is kind of what I do, but this is defining it more, and that makes it more concrete for everybody. So I was very fortunate to be on that faculty and work with some of the, the greatest people in the world in those areas, and it just sort of enhanced and, and, uh, and um, made everything even stronger.
2: You know, I, I, th- I was telling you off the record um, how I came across your website,
0: mm-hmm.
2: getting ready for the interview, and you have a tagline on there, and it's uh, get educated, get empowered, get, um, be encouraged. Uh-huh. Some variation of that, like education, empowerment, encouragement. Yes. And I just resonate with that so much because I think a lot of us, for whatever reason, it's weird, I don't know what the reason is, we don't realize that we're empowered to do a lot of things.
1: Uh-huh. And
2: the fact that, you know, you talked about mindfulness and mindset, it's not a common thing. I mean, why do you think that is, is that people struggle with mindfulness and, mind- and mental health and mindset and all of those things?
0: Well, so, and part of this is what I learned in doing my own uh, personal research, as well as working at the Longevity Institute, it's just the way we're wired so when you look at our stress response to everything it our, our actual nervous system hasn't changed since the days we were either trying to not be food or get food right <laughs> it was it was it was fight or flight right? so um, in the same thing where literally I'm either running from a dinosaur or trying to catch my dinner and if even if the dinosaur catches me it's over if I don't get dinner it's over so what happens physiologically is you know we get the butterflies in our stomach our pulse you know we get a rapid pulse we start to breathe a little heavy. well that's to get more blood flowing so we can run away from something or chase something. So we have all of those sort of same traits, right? And and that's negative that elicits at the end of the day, a negative response doesn't feel natural or good. Um, So I think that's part of it is we're wired for that, right? So what you have to do is you have to almost rewire yourself. And that's really challenging. I think most people don't realize it. So I'm a pretty science-based guy. Mm -hmm. And when I started to hear this sort of stuff, I was like, okay, this makes very logical, physiological sense. So I think the first thing is accepting, hey, it's not my fault. Like, it, like, you know, your phone rings later in the evening. You don't think, who is surprising me with a call? You think, <laughs> oh, my God, who's dead? Right. That, but that's our, our reaction. Right. Yeah. Or if somebody, you something know, something happened or. Right. Right. And that's not like you're choosing. It's not like, Amy, you go, I want to think something negative about when the phone rings or I get a text or somebody doesn't text. You know, right. it's, it's we're wired to defend ourselves that way. So I think, first of all, accepting and understanding that is huge. Because when you're like, okay, I get it. It's not my choice or fault, totally. It's the way I'm wired. That acceptance is the start. Because then I'm like, well, maybe there's something then I can do about that. And then it's retraining yourself to not instinctually fall into that fight or flight negative response to everything. It's it's putting in best practices and mindful moments and thinking before you react. Uh, things like diaphragmatic breathing that kind of rewire you to then... As you do it more and more, now you're 50-50, thinking negative, positive. And then all of a sudden you're like 60-40 and 75-25, where you assume the best. You assume uh that things are gonna be good and and you just instinctually react more positively. And I think that's really, really positive or it's really powerful. I think one thing for me, I'm probably gonna mess this up a little bit, but you know, when people say, Okay, uh deep, deep breathe, you're like, Really? Deep breathe, is that really gonna do something? Well, it does. And physiologically, so we have two two parts to our nervous system, the automatic and the one we control. Mm -hmm. So in fight or flight, the automatic nervous system takes over, right? It just reacts. So fast pulse, can't breathe, all those sweat and all those symptoms, right? That's automatic. We don't choose that. But when we realize when you diaphragmatic breathe, you're choosing to breathe. So you're engaging your, your controllable nervous system. And when you do that, then it helps offset the one that's just reacting. So that's how, you know, scientifically, and again, that's sort of the nutshell, I probably messed it up a little bit, but you get the point where now all of a sudden, you're controlling that anxiety and that fear and that stress response, because you're controlling, you're taking control of your nervous system. So understanding exercises like that, and how they actually scientifically work, because if somebody's freaking out, and you're like, uh, breathe deep, they're like, oh, okay, I'm breathing, it just doesn't work. But when you understand the science behind it, and you can then can take control of those emotions, it helps you manage everything.
2: So here's what I love, especially about this. one that you've essentially said anybody could do it, right? Because I think a lot of us see um, people doing things that are scary to us, right? Speaking on stage and we're like, I could never do that. That's that's not how I'm built. Right. That's not in me. And and it's right. hard to realize. I mean, without you saying it, I don't think, I, I think a lot of us don't realize because we don't hear it, that we too can become that way, that that anxiety is controllable, that um, fight, fight or flight, fight, we can overcome it. It's just going to take work. And it, it, lucky for us that you have been inquisitive and done the research and looked into this stuff, right? <laughs> because honestly, uh, a lot of us don't know where to start. We don't know right. where to go with it. And so hearing that and hearing the things that we can do, it makes sense, right? You, when yep. that automatic comes in, you're saying practice. Getting this muscle stronger so that it can overtake and kind of um, be a better response versus the automatic yeah. one.
0: Yeah. And the first thing is that realization, right? So Acceptance. I've had throughout my years, like, career, you know, during my career and super stressful times where I've had anxiety before. And when I first had it the very first time, I freaked out because I had no idea what was going on. So you go to the doctor and it's like, you just have anxiety. I'm like, you sure? I think I had a heart <laughs> attack. And, you know, and, and so you have that. And then when you have that similar symptoms, but now you're aware and you want to do something about it because mm-hmm. there are chronic people who just feed into it and it's unfortunate. They're like, that's just, it is what it is. And blah, they kind of give up sort right. of an
2: excuse.
0: But, you know, when I'm like, okay, I'm having the same physical, you know, uncontrollable sort of uh, responses, but I know what it is. Right. And that, like you said, acceptance, then you're like, okay, first step is accepting that Hey, I'm not really having a heart attack or I'm not really going to pass out. This is just the natural feelings that go along with the stress response. Right. And now step two is, okay, so what do I do about that? Mm-hmm. And then three is sort of when you get beyond and then it becomes your unconscious habit to just be able to deal with it.
2: Yeah, it's it's one of those things where I think because we see it happen other people are like, okay, just take a deep breath. And you're like, looking at you like, what are you crazy? Why, like I'm <laughs> panicking here. Why is that? But you're, what you're saying is it works. And right. I think people need to, as you're listening, try it. Don't just brush it off. This is how we get better. This is how we get stronger and, and overcome that kind of uh, response.
0: Yep. That's exactly what it is. And, and it is to some extent a choice. Now, not to say that there aren't people out there that have had very traumatic issues or there are sincere chemo- chemical chemical sure. imbalances. Absolutely. Right? It's, so it's not a cure-all, but even again, that realization that, okay, I and you have to want to be better. And again, I think we've all experienced people who just get caught in their own rut and don't really want to, they forget what it's like to feel great or Mm -hmm. to be happy. And that's pretty, that's a pretty big problem. So, you know, realizing that, Hey, maybe I do have underlying issues that I have to address, but at the end of the day, at some point it's my choice to want to face that and and want to be aware and then do what it takes to, to feel better.
2: So you keep saying something that I, that I keep honing on because of the Mm -hmm. whole, um, and it's my choice. Mm -hmm. It's the concept of my choice. And it's interesting because, you know, uh, for a long time, I don't think I I really accepted that the things I do in life is my choice. Right. And mm-hmm. d- did you go through something similar yourself? I mean, let me let me explain it a little bit more, uh, I guess. yeah. Um, where I was doing things because I thought I had to do them. Where it was expected of me mm-hmm. and it was only in my early 30s, late 20s, really, where I started realizing, hey, this is my life, my choice are mine or should be mine. And therefore, hey, let me start making those in there, right? And accepting and learning and, you know, doing different things. Did you always know that the things you were doing were what you wanted to do?
0: No, of course not. I mean, you know, you grow up and, and for example, my mom, who's a wonderful woman said, you are going to be a doctor. Mm -hmm. So I went, I went through high school and took all the high level science classes, uh, which I hated by the way, and then went to college. And for about a quarter I was Mm pre-med and I never had any desire. I've always, always had an entrepreneurial bug, you know, when it was wanting to open a martial arts studio and that sort of thing. Um, but you, you, you want to please people and it's natural, especially people that are influential friends and parents. And, um, so yeah, so you have to hit that stop where it's not about being mean or turning away from people. It's just saying, you know what, I have to do what's right for me. And I think the one sort of thing that goes with you owning your own choices, is that then it does also become your responsibility. So sometimes it's easier to just, because even if you fail, you said, well, I was just trying to do it because they told me I should do this. When all of a sudden it's like, this is what I'm going to do. Whoa, what if I don't make it? Or what if I fall short? Then it is your responsibility. But, and I think you know, uh, so yeah, so many people just feel obligated. And I love the word obligated Mm because a few years back I told myself, I'm only going to let 10% of my time go to things that I feel obligated to. Right. Because, because think about that obligated. Mm -hmm. You feel like you have to life is too short to do things that you feel like you have to do. So I feel obligated to go to this person's thing. Well then don't go because if you feel obligated, you're not enhancing their experience
1: (laughs) because you're not really there to, to have fun.
0: Right. So Stop feeling obligated, (laughs) and I'm not saying be an anarchist. (laughs) Do whatever you want at any time. You know, don't do that. Obviously, be a good person, take care of yourself, and take care of other people. But um, make your choices. You got one life, and it's
2: short. Well, I I think that's uh, the part that we struggle with, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, like you said, you you don't you people are kind of influencing us, right? Well intentioned as they are. No, I don't think anyone maliciously. Tries to influence people. If you are, you need to get away from them. Right. <laughs> right. That's, that's not obvious when we're going to give you guys, but I think there are, you don't realize it until you right. start, stop enjoying things until you stop kind of feeling like what is going on right now? How did I, g-? I think the biggest question ends up being, how did I get here?
0: Yeah, exactly. Well,
2: well, how did I get to this point? And so, you know, what I loved about your story was you, sh- you opened, you had a school. I'm like was that like in your 20s to get a school and you know what well, what did you do with the school by the way
0: so it was it was never mine I just oh, ran out like you were I was at it. the school yeah I was just the the basically the head instructor and general manager for the for the gentleman who owned it mm-hmm. and uh but I always treated it like I was my own because I knew that someday I well I thought I wanted to have my own back in the day and it's okay, you know, the pads change, by the way, because mm-hmm. um, I like where mine's taken me. Uh, but yeah, I just treated it like I owned it. The responsibility, it was interesting. I, I, obviously, there's times you feel overwhelmed. You know, you're doing membership sales, you're teaching the classes, you're dealing with parents who aren't happy about something. And so it was a lot on my plate. Um, but even I guess even at that point, without sort of being as educated as I am now, I just thought, you know, this is a challenge. I never looked at things like a problem. I said, it's a challenge because challenges you can figure out. Problems mm-hmm. stop you. So I just said, okay, uh, and and as a competitor, that probably helped too, because even if it was uh, a parent arguing about their child not testing, it, to me it was a competitive event where I was going to win. Because I was gonna <laughs> I was going to sell them on why this was the right idea, right? So right. I always looked at everything as even sales, right? Mm-hmm. I, I'm going to get you to buy a membership. Because at the end of the day, I knew it was good for you because you're gonna be a martial artist, you get all the benefits, but you know, I, I looked at everything in the situations like a competition. I was going to win.
2: But there's there's something uh Very active about that, you know, in in the way you do that. So let me ask you then. So after that, after college, you take some time off. You're in California. Was there any rhyme or reason for the paths you took after that? Like,
0: So take us down the road. Okay, sort of. It's it's a very interesting story. At least maybe. If not, you'll be bored. (laughs) Um, So I had gotten a job waiting. And and this is the competitive nature in me. So I, I got a job waiting tables. Prior to moving, because I thought I'm probably going to wait tables in California. So I wanted that experience. So I had about six months of, of waiter experience. I go out there in a, in a fairly nice neighborhood and apply at every restaurant. I'll never forget Cheesecake Factory, which no offense, Cheesecake Factory, but I applied and they're like, we don't hire sh- servers. We hire Cheesecake servers and you are not one. And I was like, oh, really? So wow. that kind of like jabbed me to, you know, they're like, your experience is not significant enough. I'm like, okay, listen. So that, that kind of got me fired up, right? Now, so went to every single restaurant. And at that point, nobody would hire me. So it was crazy. So finally went to Friday's. Remember with the suspenders yeah. and the flare? And yeah. by the way, I, I ended up being that annoying guy with all the buttons. It's like, hey, welcome to Friday's. I'm sure you can picture that. Uh, and I'm
2: picturing it now.
0: <laughs> and it's exactly how you're picturing it. It was embarrassing if I think back. But I begged a guy, I said, if you, at least let me be a host. Right. So I ended up being a host, which you don't make a lot, you make much more waiting tables, but it was something I was in the door. But I thought I'm going to work as hard as I can as host, because I want to be promoted as quickly as possible. So instead of just seating a party of four, I bust tables on the way back, uh, I got them their beverages right off the bat, you know, the sodas and whatever they want. So I tried to just do more the extra mile. And, yeah. And, and was awesome. They, within a few weeks, they were like, we want to promote you. You're working really hard. I said, that's fantastic. Finally. Cause for me, two weeks was like, finally, they said, you could be a, bu- you could be a bus boy. You work really hard. I'm like, bus boy. I don't want to be a bus boy. I want to be a waiter. So at a bus boy, same thing. I helped run food. I, if I saw people at the host stand, there was no host, I would see them. And then it progressed to food expo. And I'm like, Oh my gosh, how hard are you going to make this for me? Finally, I got the waiter job worked really hard um, to get the best shifts possible and then I kind of hit my peak where I had the busiest shifts, Friday, Saturdays, primetime seating, all that stuff. So I was like, yes. And then I'm like, I got to do something else. Bartender that's next. So that was like the whole next quest where they're like, you have to audition. Cause you had to audition to be a bartender and throw bottles. And it was crazy, but I was like, you know what? I don't even know if it makes more money, but I need to do this. Cause it's just that competitive nature, but I was still training and I'd go to um, a local community college once a week. And this is it was really funny. Cause it sounds phony, but so I was working out with some martial artists and some stunt guys. So right as I was getting the bartender job and I had worked so long to get there, I got a phone call. And a buddy said, Can you come down and audition for a show? And I said, I I, I don't know. I mean, I'm just a stunt guy who can tumble a little or a martial artist who can do a couple of stunts here or there.
2: Right.
0: And he, he said it's it's the kids' show Power Rangers. What? And we're leaving Yeah. He said, We're leaving for a live tour of the country tomorrow. We just lost a performer. Can can you do it? I'm like, I guess. So I fly down to Burbank. I do an audition where the martial art part was fine. Cause I was decent at that. Then they had me do some like reactions to punches, kicks and it was absolutely terrible, but I could see the argument by the three coordinators. I couldn't hear them, but I could see that they were going, he stinks. And the other guy's like, but we leave tomorrow for a year and we don't have anyone. He's like, I know, but this guy's terrible. So then they reluctantly came back to me and were like, can you leave tomorrow for a year? And I was like, absolutely. And they're like, fine, you're hired. So then I became a Power Ranger. So,
2: you know, pretty, you know the question, right? Which one?
0: Yes. Yeah, so initially, I was three different bad guys in this live show. So I didn't get to be a ranger for a while. <laughs> uh, I was three three different bad guys who all got like beat up, and then ended up starting to take over some of the appearance work for the Red Ranger. And then throughout fifteen years worth of on and off work, uh, I did you know whatever ranger I looked like the most during the season because as a stunt guy. If the red guy was the, you know, right, taller but, guy. Yeah. So every color except pink and yellow.
2: Really? Hold on. Hold on. <laughs> <Uh-oh>. <laughs> I got it. Yes. <laughs> I had, Billy was my favorite one. I think it was because it was blue. He was, uh, blue's yeah. my favorite color, but that is amazing. So yeah. took it, you ran with it a year. You're not even sure what's going to happen. Here you are. You do it. Yes. What do you do at the end?
0: So it was funny because it just as an antidote, when I ran the martial arts studio and decided to leave, the owner was like, you shouldn't move. You should stay here. Keep running the studio. Someday it'll be yours. And I said, I'm going to move to the West Coast. He's like, what are you going to do? Go out there and become a Power Ranger? Ah. Yeah, that was a fun phone call. He put, he put
2: I, that out in the world.
0: <laughs> yeah, but I called him. I was like, hey, I got a job doing Power Rangers. And he's like, are you serious? I mean, he's a great guy. Yeah, uh, I'm sure. But, but it, was, it, was, it was a really... Really vindicating phone call, that one. <laughs> nice.
2: Well, I mean, that's another example, though, right? Of some of a friend influencing you or mm-hmm. trying to and being like, hey, this is probably better for you. Especially when yeah. there, there are options. People love to share their thoughts on your options.
0: Yep. Yep, yeah, right. Right. And, 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 and even with that, there were moments, by the way, where I was like, I shouldn't leave. I mean, all these students depend on me and and the studio. And as much as I felt badly for them, I knew somebody else would step in. Cause we're all replaceable to some extent. And I was like, I got to follow my own. I got to follow my own choice on this one. Yeah. So thank goodness I did. So yeah. So on and off, I did stunt work for the power Rangers for about 15 years. I did some movie and TV work, uh, you know, falling down, getting punched, uh, wrecking cars. And
2: okay. You have to be honest about this. When uh-huh. you were a kid learning martial arts, mm-hmm. was this ever something you thought about being a stunt man?
0: Never seriously. Cause growing up in Ohio, you just didn't have that stuff. Right. So it was never, you know, I guess there was probably fleeting moments like that'd be cool. Right. Um, but you but never not. took it
2: seriously, but no, look, look what happened. Yeah. <laughs> look what happened. And then, so you do that 15 years on and off. Yeah. So where's the road taking you?
0: So as I'm doing that, stunt work is really hard on your body and you do really, you know, you take a beating. So I was like, what do I want to do to supplement this? Cause I cannot do this forever. And then at one point SAG went on strike, the Screen Actors Guild. So basically everything was shut down. So uh, a friend of mine said, hey, my buddy owns a a small gym and they have a martial art program. Would you like to teach martial arts? And I said, sure, because I needed, you know, I want to make the income. So I went there and taught martial arts. And um, because it was martial arts at a gym, it was a very small program. So at some point I was like, I want to do more. And the general manager said, you should train people, become a trainer. I said, okay, that's great. How do I do it? And they're like, you know, you're 22 or 23 and fit just whatever you do to yourself, do to everyone else, which by the way, anyone who's thinking about becoming a trainer, that's terrible advice. Um, <laughs> so yeah, you know, I'm a 21 year old or 22 year old male, right? So I like bench press incline bench press, you know, like 17 chest exercises, bicep curls and, and like crunches. So it didn't matter if you were grandma, just had a baby knee surgery, high school kid, everyone did the stupid Chris Stevenson, 22 year old workout, which was terrible. But in that process, I a new general manager came in and said you should get certified. And again, naive knucklehead. I was like, What does that mean? They're like Well, I thought
2: just- you I think you took it as a challenge.
0: More yeah, than- <laughs> I was like, all right. So went and got certified, then was horrified at what was going out of this gym. I'm like, oh my God, we're killing people. Like you should should not train people like this. So from there I went clinical and worked for the chiropractic sports institute in mm-hmm. Southern California. Outgrew that quickly. Ended up leasing half of his space for my own training center, then expanded to a a bigger training center. So this is about 17, 16 years ago, and then opened up a full service health club that we owned and operated for 10 years. Wow. And did a, did a really good job. Our focus was customer experience. And we had one of the highest net promoter scores in the industry. So we we did a really great job. The success there led to speaking in keynotes, literally all over the world, consulting, and uh, kind of brought us to where we're at now. And then now we're working on a couple new new projects to uh, get involved in. Cause I, I, as much as I love speaking, consulting and coaching, uh, I miss operating. So I got to do a little bit of that too.
2: So let me ask. So you've done all these things. Things seem to have evolved naturally of sorts, right? Things kind of tied in with one another, brought you here, right? Gave you all this experience, this knowledge, you're, show, you're using it in your keynotes, you're using it in presentations, workshops, et cetera, et cetera. Looking back, what is probably one of the best lessons you've learned that you try to share with others?
1: That's
0: a great question. Because I'm sure you
2: have a lot of lessons, right, from these years. But what what kind of stood out to you?
0: That's a great question. So one, I will tell you, it it might seem simplistic at Mm -hmm. at its core. But when I was still running that martial arts studio, uh, at the time we had one guy who could do a backflip. And we were doing all these demonstrations and all of that. And he was the only guy, you know, he would kick his foot, you would catch it and you'd throw and he'd do this cool backflip. And it was like the highlight of the demonstration. And it was the most meaningful moment in all these performances, but he was really flaky. So one day he no-shows. We're 30 minutes from a performance. Oh no. And that was, you know, and by the way, in retrospect, we could have done a million different things and we were overvaluing whatever. But at the time it was like, but that's the moment. And I was like, you know what? Come here, somebody come here, grab my foot. And they threw me and I no. poof, plop, right, on, yeah, right <laughs> in my head, right in my head. And after you land on your head a couple of times, you're like, maybe that's why I was thought I could become a stuntman. Uh, but then I'm like, now I hit my shoulder. Oh, I'm over my chest. Oh my God, almost landed it. So just kept doing it. And within, you know, 20 minutes, I was like, you know what? Don't you, 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 while you, as a leader, you depend on other people because everybody fills their roles and does their job and you want to bring out the best in them. You also have to lead by example and you got to take the bull by the horns once in a while. And it was sort of that probably that competitive nature too. I'm like, you know what? Forget it. I can do this. There's no, and I will work on it until I get it. And I really believe that, that if we continue to work hard and and we're willing to put it out there and we're willing to not give up that we can pretty much accomplish anything we want to do. So even that's, it was like a, you know, I kind of learned in those moments that was a very simplistic moment. A more advanced moment was uh, in one of my companies uh, and I was a younger leader and, and younger owner at the time. Um, so I, wasn't as experienced, but I had one investor out of the group that just hammered me all the time. They were unhappy. They hammered me all the time. And, oh. you know, even when you're doing things right, mm. you know, when somebody throws that doubt at you, yeah. you know, you, you, even though you're like, man, I'm doing this right, but I still feel. So every time I would have an interaction, I would get super anxious. Um, and I'd be like, oh, I'm gonna have that, you know, the thing we talked about earlier, though, you know, having anxiety and all that. And I had a mentor say to me, they win. And I was like, what do you mean? They're like, are you doing anything wrong? Are you doing anything dishonest, shady? I'm like, of course not. And they're like, but you're letting their complaints who are just trying to get to you, you're letting them get to you. You need to take control of right now and deal with it. It's going okay to be mad upset. You don't deny emotions, but you're letting it ruin you for the next two days. So congratulations, they win. And I was like, you're right. And from that moment on, kind of flipped that switch in the mindset to realize that I'm not going to let things like that get to me because they shouldn't. So those are kind of two examples of of sort of different type of lessons. But it's those little moments where you just, you know, the light bulb goes off.
2: And I think we often forget that. I, I don't know what it is, right? Um, the example of you flipping or trying to <laughs> backflip is, is still in my head because I think as a child, um, we're fearless, yep. right? We don't have enough know-how and knowledge to be afraid. And, you know, as a kid, I'd be like, yeah, of course you backflipped. Uh-huh. Right. The six year old Amy's like, duh, what else was he going right. to do, guys? What right. else was he going to? He had to learn. And now I'm like, oh, my God, you hit your head. You could have a concussion. Yeah. What were you doing? <laughs> right. I think there's just something about us at an older age that we've lost that fearlessness that we mm-hmm. had as a child. And it's kind of rep- been replaced by all this information that's operating and moving. And I love that you said we could do anything we want if we set our mind to it. If we yeah. just keep at it, keep going, there's going to be injuries, there's going to be concussions, yeah. you know, all yeah. that kind of stuff. We just gotta keep doing it. And mm-hmm. the latter of what you said about, you know, um not letting that emotion stay with you, right? Um, my dad told a story, and I'll I'll probably butcher this, of a I'm I'm definitely gonna butcher this. I think it was a Buddhist priest with his uh disciples. And there was a woman who, I think it was a prostitute, who was like walking and needed help getting across a river. And as a Buddhist priest, he was like, of course, we'll help you across. And the disciples were like, what? No, she's a prostitute. What are you doing? And he helps them across the river. And the disciples are like quiet. She goes on her own way and they keep walking and walking, walking. And he's like, why are you guys still so wound up? What's wrong? What's wrong? like, how could you do that? And he was like, you're still talking about that. I let that go back then. (laughs) And you're still carrying it all this time. And it's, it really hit me because I'm like, you're right. They they let it go. They don't care. Right. She's on her own and we're just carrying this stuff on how people affect us.
0: And it's funny you said that because here's another very lame, but simple learning lesson that you just said that. So as a Cleveland sports fan, and I see the <laughs> Raven the, I see your Baltimore Ravens yep. up behind you. I'm pretending it's not there. Um, but when LeBron James left to go back uh, to go to Miami, yeah. I'll never forget watching and like welling up because he was the greatest thing that ever happened to Cleveland. I was like, how could he? And I hated him and I was so mad. And then Colin Cowherd, who's one of my favorite sportscasters, did his little monologue one day on it. And basically the whole thing was, you know, LeBron was like twenty-three, a billionaire. And you're mad because he wanted to leave Ohio to go play in Miami with a couple other all-stars and all that. And at the end of his whole message was you hold your grudges. LeBron doesn't have a grudge against you. Grudges only hurt the people that hold them. Mm. And that was another light switch moment. I'm like, you're right. And then I became a Miami fan, followed LeBron because I had always loved him as an athlete. What's a Jersey. Um, But it's just like what you said, you know, we, we carry these things unnecessarily for so long. Like, like uh, the monk said to his disciples, it makes no sense. It only hurts us.
2: It makes no sense. And yeah, I equate that when Mike Messina left for the Yankees. <laughs> yeah. Broke my heart. <laughs> broke my heart. Yeah. And then I was like, you know what? This is probably for the best for him. Let me, and I became yeah. I, I I just came back to being a Messina fan, never a Yankees fan. Let that right. be said. St- <laughs> never a Yankees fan. I'm a Mike yeah. Messina fan. So I understand, but that's a great point. And yeah. I never really thought about the fact that you're right. Grudges only hurt the people that hold it. The other people are like, well, I'm sorry, what? You had yeah. what?
0: Oh, were, you, were you mad at me? Because <laughs> I had no idea. Yeah.
2: Never knew. Right. <laughs> you just be like, what? That's crazy. And, but I think, I think those three lessons are very powerful in a lot of ways because I don't. It's
0: simple, right? You just have yeah. that. Yeah.
2: They're very simple. They're powerful. And I think we need to remember that because I think at some point, some way, people, um, are set in their ways. And we forget that we're malleable people. We can change on the dime.
0: Mm-hmm. And, and I think that's something we lose as we get older a little bit. And I think part of it, is, and we don't need to, right. But part of it becomes that way, like you were telling me, you know, as you get older, now you're worried, like before you backflip, you're like, well, what about this? What about that? And by the way, as we age, I'm not encouraging anyone to go try to backflip for the first time. Because <laughs> we do, truth is we do break easier and it takes longer to heal. But you know, as we grow, we see more negative media, and there are more negative influences. And that's what sells and and we start to learn more and, and we hang on to those negatives, because that's the way we're wired. And so that's why our decision making changes. And oftentimes, like you said, we come become really uber conservative when we should be taking chances, we don't make our choices, because we feel obligated. Yeah. So we, we kind of lose that stuff. It's funny, as I don't know why this popped in here. But you know, you think about that when you're young, mm-hmm. you start a career, if you're out all night, like partying, but you get up and you still show up for that, they're like, wow, that guy's a worker, man. That guy's cool. If you do the same thing and you're older, it's like, what a drunk. <laughs> so even the perception changes, right? Like if you're, if, if you challenge True. the status quo when you're young, it's like, wow, that guy challenges thinking. If you're old and you challenge it, they're like, that guy's cranky yeah. and, and stuck in his ways. No, but we, I think to, to keep that in mind, you know, we're still the same people. We still can do the same thing, same choices. Only we, only, you can only stop yourself.
2: And I think we often forget that, right? We're our own worst enemies in the sense that other people, if you do something challenging, they're like, wow, congratulations, especially when you when you take that chance and it's successful, right? We're so focused on that negative that we forget. But what happens if it works?
0: Right, right. Exactly.
2: And then it's all of a sudden it's like, well, of course you did it. You could do anything. And then you're like, what was I worried about? Right. It's always yeah. that hindsight. Mm-hmm. Um, but Chris is just full of knowledge, guys. We just knocked off four lessons for y'all. Did you, four lessons. I'm gonna throw. I'm. Gonna, I'm gonna get him to give one more. Okay, so we'll take. So I have to wrap it up in a good way. You just happen to give so many lessons. Let me. I'm gonna ask for one more. What is one thing, Chris, that the listeners here, these dream chasers, can do today to chase their dreams? That you would say, hey, this would help you the most.
0: I mean, that's, that's a great question. I mean, you know, part of it and, uh, is really crystallizing those dreams. And, and many of you, I'm sure, have read the book, Start With Why. If you haven't, um, don't, don't do it if you haven't, because, I will, Amy and I will tell you right now, it just means if you start with a fundamental reason why you want to do something, you're more likely to do it. Now, you should still read the book. It's a great book. Listen to the TED Talks. But, you know, as you're making these choices and you're figuring out, you know, I want to accomplish A. Oftentimes, the reasons you don't is because you don't truly want to accomplish that. And it ties back into what Amy was mentioning earlier with, uh, you know, are you making your own choice or are you choosing for somebody else? Right? If it's for somebody else, there's a good chance you're never going to get where you want to go and you're never going to feel fulfilled. So, you know, look at, you know, set up your, your set of goals and what you think they are. And then you do that exercise where you just keep digging deeper for why. You know, it's like the five whys and then say, okay, this really is something I want to do because at the end of the day, these are all the reasons it makes sense and it fulfills me. You might surface level for the wrong reasons think I should do this because of other people or pressure or social norms, right? But if you truly don't want it, it's never going to happen. So, you know, all you're going to do is you're going to crystallize. It's sort of like creating a business. You're going to come up with your vision, right? Your your core purpose. And then you're going to create a mission statement, which is how we accomplish that. So based on the fact that I figured this out, here's why I want to do it. Now let's figure out how I'm going to do it, and then you sort you start to you know set your long, short, and uh, long, mid, and short-term goals, and you kind of build a plan. Just treat it like a plan, but make sure there's a fundamental reason why you're going to do it. If you take those steps, it, it makes things a lot more concrete. You leave nothing to chance, and you're going to dramatically increase the uh, chance for you to be successful.
2: Hands down, guys, hands down. I mean, I I love it because what he said. To do that example, that exercise, that's how you start making empowered choices. That's that's what it is,
0: Chris. Yeah, absolutely,
2: I can't thank you, man. We has we could keep going too easily. We could keep going, but I thank you for your time and just sharing those nuggets of wisdom, man. I think it's really helpful for everyone to hear it because you've gone through it, and these aren't just words of wisdom just that are just untested, tried and true. And I appreciate it.
0: Oh, it's my pleasure. And I think I think that's kind of a, a final thought for me is uh, I'm not special. I'm not. And I say that humbly. I know there are certain things I do well and, and I've accomplished certain things, but I'm no different than you. You're no different than me. It's just uh, I kind of found a path, learned the lessons that we talked about and many others and uh, committed to it and, and knew what I wanted and why I wanted it. And that's what helped. So we're no different as long as you put in the time, focus, and also the hard work to get it done. You'll get done whichever it is you want to get done.
2: That's all there is to it. He said what he said. thank you chris
0: my pleasure anytime
2: and there you have it guys that was chris stevenson lot of lessons didn't i tell you there was a lot of wisdom packed into this episode so i hope you took notes if not as you know it's always going to be on the show notes page over at amyj21.com slash episode 232 that's episode 232 so guys the thing that you want to know and remember is uh I want you to examine your choices. Just like Chris said, it's really important that we understand why we're doing the things we're doing. Make sure that they are things you want to be doing and that you're making empowered choices and not coerced ones. Okay? So I want to remind you of that. Also, in October, we have a fun episode for you. The next episode will be featuring um, a special guest, my mom, I am so excited for you guys to hear her story. I know she was on the show before, but things have happened in 2020 and I want to share that with you. So make sure you stay tuned for that coming up in October. All right, guys, until next time, remember, don't stop, keep chasing.
1: Thank you so much for listening to Chasing Dreams. Amy would love to connect with you and hear all about your pursuit of chasing your dreams.